0: Hello, I'm Rabbi Avi Green, and I'm Dr. Akiva Daum, and And welcome welcome to Interesting Interesting Questions. I am a rabbi with ordination from Yeshiva University and a doctorate in education.
1: I have a medical degree with specialization in general and addiction psychiatry. In this podcast, we will seek to take different questions that come up in the Torah and evaluate them from a psychological standpoint as well as a religious standpoint. Please note that in many of these situations, we will be looking at things that may be viewed as controversial. It is specifically to bring about questions that many people have had and bring in to light different levels of evaluation and get people to think
0: about things in a different way. All right, welcome to Parshat Balak, and I thought we'd start off Akiva with a conversation about xenophobia, and whether or not Balak's fear of B'nai Yisrael is xenophobic, or whether it is a justified response to a stronger nation who is heading directly towards him. So can you talk to us a little bit about what xenophobia is? and, and how we can tell if something or someone is being xenophobic as opposed to legitimately afraid of another person. Xenophobia, my understanding would be
1: that it's a fear of really other nations, other cultures, other people who are different than us. Um, And I say us, suggesting that all of us are the same. But that's the idea, right? And that's kind of where we get into this whole, you know, Xenophobia and just how, in some ways, quite frankly, there, there's a foolishness to it because we fear what we don't understand, and yet even ourselves are so different. And there are commonalities, fine, but there are so many things that are also not commonalities. As somebody who comes from another community, right, they're gonna come to our Shabbat Shachri and they're gonna say, Why are they doing uh at this time, we do it then, even something like that theoretically that and i've and I've heard right we've had people have had guests, and you can hear a question, how come they're doing this now so what and that kind of is the suggestion, so obviously, this is a more advanced this is a bigger thing. This is people who are different, why are they different? We're afraid of them. I would say that you know in this particular situation, it sounds very much like Balak is afraid because B'nai Yisrael just destroyed a very powerful nation. Okay, and even even continuing on the idea that you had mentioned from, from before, how this is 38 years have passed, something like that. So, not necessarily are we talking about the Mitzrim, but we we are talking about, uh, MRE, and and okay so. So I think that's a reason to be fearful, as far as xenophobia per se. I'm actually gonna say let's let's put that slightly a pin in that for a little later because we're gonna come back to that, uh, as B'nai Yisrael ends up more affected by Moab. So, Avi, with with that little piece about uh, Balak being out of the way, um, I want to talk about Bilam, and, you know, a lot of what we do is we try and separate the text from the Medrash, where we can, where it's appropriate to, and when we're learning about Bilam, so many things of this remind me of Asav. Asav, we talked about many, many uh, parshiot ago. Okay, he wasn't great. He wasn't. He, he wasn't uh, his brother. He wasn't. He certainly <laughs> wasn't his father. But it was. There's nothing in the text that says that this man was this terrible terrible man best no great probably not good enough to be in the torah absolutely because that's how
0: we know about him you're making a face i i I don't know that just because you're in the torah that makes you good i said good enough Uh, yeah i don't even Uh, know if that's good enough like we have villains in the torah paro makes it into the torah so i don't know that that means anything but go on there were several paros though some of them not as bad as others. Agreed.
1: Anyway, getting back to Bilaam. So so we have Bilaam, who is a monotheist, from what we can say. So already, I would say, gets more points than Paro. Okay. And not only is he a monotheist, but if you look at the text, he listens to Hashem. He doesn't just believe in Hashem. He listens to what Hashem says. And he is... Maybe not in the same way, of course not in the same way that the Avot were, certainly not in the same way of the relationship between Moshe and Hashem. And yet, Hashem takes the time to speak to Bilam. Even only
0: in dreams, he still takes the time to speak to Bilam. So I will agree with you that Bilam hears Hashem. I don't know that he listens. And I think that's where we get to the crux of our dilemma, is when we talk about... The fact that Hashem comes to Bilam and says, don't go with these people the first time that they come and ask him to come with him. And then the second time Hashem says, if you want to go with them, then you'll have to say whatever I tell you to say. So and then Bilam goes with them and Hashem gets upset. Right? So I think that's where your question comes in. How can Hashem get upset? And this is sort of the the same question we asked with the Meraglim. In fact, the Mefarshim, the traditional Mefarshim, point out this connection, this parallel, that Hashem says, don't do it. And the people say, but we really want to do it. And then Hashem says, okay, if you really want to do it, go and do it. But it's not going to turn out good. And so they go and do it. But with Bilaam, it turns out great. Um...
1: B- Depends for whom, for for Bnei Yisrael, and it, and it, it, as far as with Bilam listening to Hashem, because he doesn't, ar- he he may argue. Um, we have a couple of other people who who argued with Hashem in the past, by the way, which was totally accepted, um, and yet with Bilam, he says oh, come on, can I go? And Hashem says, okay, fine, you, but you have to say what I tell you to say. And Billam 100%
0: says what Hashem tells him to say. So I don't think he argues with Hashem. In fact, nowhere do I see him arguing with Hashem in the text. Well, maybe asking a second I think, time. I think, and I think that the words that he says are not his own words. I think that those are words that come out of his mouth as a prophecy from Hashem and not his own words. So it's not that he says, okay, Hashem, I'll do what you want, but rather it's, I'm here trying to do what I want and Hashem is imposing Hashem's will onto him. You know,
1: earlier, when we were talking about what questions we would come up with, you used the phrase free will.
0: And now I'm No, 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 no. no. So,
1: antithesis of free will. No,
0: no, so I'm going to go back and I will say the when Hashem says, you can choose to go, but I'm going to tell you what to say, that is a question of free will, right? I'm telling you, don't go. But if you choose Wait, to where, go, you where, can where go. Does, where does he say
1: don't go when he says. The first time. No, no, I'm talking about the second time. But I'm saying. Because the first time he says don't go,
0: he doesn't go. Okay, but we all have kids, and we all know what happens. They come to you the first time, and, you, and they say, can I do it? Da, 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 da? And the answer is no. And then they come back and they ask again, and they ask again, and they ask again, and they ask again, and they try to wear us down. But the answer that we gave the first time was really the right answer. Uh. Even if we give in later on or say, You want to try it? That's fine. You're going to learn the consequences of your actions. You really want to stay up, right? If we say that the kid says, I really want to stay up late, it's not a good idea. I don't think you should do it but I really, really want to. And then you say, okay, you can do it, but we're going to see what happens tomorrow.
1: So that may be a valid argument. However, I'm going to put on my psychiatrist hat and my um, medication-knowledgeable, prescribing-knowledgeable hat, and I'm going to say, in some cases, it reminds me of the child who is on a stimulant medication for ADHD. And it's a long-acting medication. And they don't eat throughout the day. And at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, right around bedtime, that magic time where children are supposed to go to bed, and they say, Abba, I'm I'm hungry. And you say, no, go to bed. And they come back, and they say, Abba, I'm really hungry. And you say, if you're really hungry, you can have some carrots. And they say, thank you. Did you do the right thing, or was the right thing to say go to bed? Mind you, some of these children might be underweight, and so eating is important at any time.
0: So I think this goes to uh, this being not your case, but the case of I'm being a case of motivation, right? Your case is also, to a certain extent, a case of motivation, but it's much harder for us to read the motivation of that child Until maybe we say, if you want to have something to eat, you can have carrots. And they're like, okay, well, he doesn't usually eat carrots. He must really be hungry, right? In other words, he's not asking for chocolate cake. He's just asking for food. So is there a a way to ask for things legitimately? 100%. We see that throughout the time B'nai Yisrael is in the desert. There are things they ask for that are legitimate things that they need. They need water. Hashem gives them water. They need food. Hashem gives them food. Right? But there are also times where people ask for things, and the request is not legitimate. Here, Bilam asks, "Can he go with these people in curse Benay Israel?" And Hashem says, "No." And they come back and they offer him more money. So, what's his motivation? Is it well, that he really wants to give them a bracha? No, he's still asking. And in fact, I would argue that his his but he, his actions the following morning play this out right because the pasuk talks about that he gets up in the morning and he saddles his she-donkey and, uh, and, and then heads off with the people who are encouraging him to curse B'nai Israel. Or, another
1: way to look at it, is Balak sends some lowly people, lowly for the king, uh, to come ask Bilam to do something, he says no to the lowly people, Balak sends higher ranking officers who may be more threatening, right? We know that if the king comes in and you're in the middle of the Shema, you address the king for fear of your life. So Bilam, who is God-fearing, and the higher officers come presumably armed, say, we have some gold for you or we have an opportunity to tell the king that you refused. But now you're, you're adding your own level of Midrash. Not any it more than, than adding that there's more of a
0: reward, considering he says specifically, no, 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 it, right. even specifically if you asked says, me to do this, I can't. Correct. correct. He says, there, it definitely says there's more reward. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to be a threat, because, I, and I'll say that for a couple of reasons. One, when he does the exact opposite of what they ask him to do and he costs an arm and a leg because every time he does this and he tries to curse B'nai Israel three times and he's unsuccessful three times and each time he makes them bring 21 different karbanot, right? Every time he's, he's setting up 14. for this... What? That was seven rams and seven... Right, but it's it's seven rams and seven... Um, and, and So maybe it's 21 altogether But he, he, right, he ends up costing him a lot of money And he doesn't get the, the result he wants well, Who doesn't get the result? Balak doesn't get the result Correct, Balak doesn't get the result And but yet there's Billum no repercussion tells, But Bilam tells him each time This is what's going to happen I understand So that's what he's saying he, and, and yet there is no repercussion of, of physical danger You'd think at a certain point, even at least after the third time where he goes home, he would have said, well, that was clearly a fail. Let's go kill him. Do we ever hear from Bill again in the Torah? We do not. But it does not tell us that anything happened. It says simply he went home. It wasn't important anymore. Correct. That's why it doesn't talk about him anymore. But I would think... If, Isn't if, that if, also if he was killed? If he was killed by Balak, that would have been important. Hmm.
1: Suffices to say, even if he's rushing to do
0: something not good, he doesn't do something not good. Ah, So now we get into what is his intention. And I think that the piece with the with the donkey, is critical. Do we want to pause here? No, we'll just keep going. So, so I think the piece with the donkey is critical. And I think that you sent me on a, on a journey earlier this, today to look at, you know, the fact that this is only the second animal in the Torah who speaks. And why is it significant that the donkey speaks, the other one being the snake to Adam and Chava couldn't have asked it better myself. Great. And, and it, that sent me down a little bit of a rabbit hole into the mafarshim, But sure enough, the mafarshim had a great answer. And that was that this was a, another warning to Bila, right? Of Hashem essentially saying to him, if I can make a donkey speak, and say what I want. You don't think I can make you speak and say what I want? You think you're going to say what you want to say. But just like this donkey, you're going to say what I want you to say. And so to me, that reinforces this idea that Bilaam was headed out with the idea that he might still be successful in cursing Bnei Yisrael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashem said, you can only say what I want you to say. Okay, but maybe you want me to curse them. No, 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 says Hashem. This is going to be the moment where you realize that you're just another donkey and you're going to say what I want you to say. Okay, fine, but the donkey's message is important. hundred percent. The message is that one of the messages, because I think there may be multiple messages from the donkey, but one of the messages is you are only going to say what I want you to say because you planned on saying something else.
1: But where do we see that? Where do where do we have the suggestion that Bilam planned to say anything considering when Hashem says you don't have permission to go, you can't go, he doesn't go, and when Hashem says... Okay, you can go, but you're gonna say exactly what I
0: tell you to say. Billum says okay. He says I'll puppet. So he doesn't say okay. He, what do you mean he doesn't say okay? He doesn't he doesn't respond. He does, right? he, he, he gets up and acts. He ah, uh, his actions speak louder than his words. So his actions are yeah, I'm gonna get up early, I'm gonna make a lot of money, he doesn't and I'm wake gonna up go early. do He just wakes up. Remember yeah, okay. we, ta- we were comparing him Correct. to
1: Avraham. He's not Avraham, I Correct. agree with that. So he doesn't
0: that. get up early, although those that Pasuk is supposed to parallel the right. parallel the, right. the, the reactions of Avraham on the way to um, to doing a Yitzchak. And we agreed that that Bilam is the the lesser of the sukkim in that yes, he doesn't absolutely. get up early, he just gets up. Yes. He doesn't have a male donkey, he has a female donkey. Right, he doesn't take his two his two boys with him. He just goes with the people who came with him. Absolutely, Abraham was rushing to go slaughter his son.
1: Absolutely different than Bilam rushing to say the words that God puts into his mouth. Definitely or, or different. Or first,
0: B'nai Yisrael. So if,
1: if Hashem, puts those no, words no, 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 into no, no, mouth. no. If that
0: if, if that was his plan. One of the other mafarshim points out interestingly that <clears throat> normally in a case like this, it would say. Right, that Bilam followed the those who had come to to pay him. Right, vayelach Bilam acharav or achrehem. That Bilam went after them. But in this case, Bilam seems to be leading them. Right, that he was excited to go do this. I don't know. I mean, I
1: what I. Would I... What I what I was looking at in one of the you know, one of the midrashes that I saw was the fact that they say Bilam was known for um, cursing those who were deserving of a curse, and okay, so not a great thing, for sure. At the same time, still admitting not doing something that wasn't meant to be, I think that. If we're going to go with some of these, you know, some of the midrash here, I think if we're suggesting that Bilam was a puppet, it sounds like Bilam may have known that he was a puppet to begin with.
0: I think he may have known he was a puppet, and yet... I think he may have... Hoped that he wasn't? ...forgotten, or, or, right, or... You know, Pinocchio wanted <coughs> to be a real boy... Uh, it didn't make him a real boy. I understand. I think there may be some truth to that here as well. Right? He wanted to be a... Bilam wanted to be a real prophet, and 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 yet Hashem has to remind him, no, 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 you only get to do what I want you to do. Okay. You know, Avi, mean, maybe all we can hope for is that uh,
1: the true answer of what Bilam was comes to us in a dream. <coughs> So, obviously, mean, as promised that we would go back to xenophobia, at the end of uh, this week's parsha, we enter into not what Moab was a was, what um, Balak was afraid of happening to Moab, but rather what Moab did amongst B'nai Israel, and and I don't want to say did as if they're you know. It's like, uh, you made me do this terrible thing. No, no, you took the the opportunity to do this thing. They were influenced by Moab. They still did stuff, and they could have chosen not to. And so, aside from the rest of the piece, I'm going to go off on a tangent for just a moment, because it came to me, and otherwise it will leave me. Um, it's interesting that in this Parsha, we start with... Balak being afraid of what Bnei Israel might do to him and his people. And we have Bilam who Hashem knows better. Hashem says, no, this is a bad thing. But yeah, you can do it, and I'm going to make you say something good. And we end with, this is a bad thing. Balak was right, just not right in the right direction. Because it was not a good thing that they ended up intermingling. Because... There was assimilation, not just assimilation, but there was uh, more than that. There was taking on these these acts that were complete antithesis of, of what is acceptable, according to Torah law. And at this point, they had Torah law, so they knew what they were supposed to be doing and whatnot. And so, you know, I think this is the question of, is it xenophobia or not? And I think sometimes... There's a, there's a fine line between xenophobia and fear of assimilation. And I think that it's important. And when we think about boundaries, um, you know, the rabbi had a great drash today about, um, about boundaries and about the importance of holding to boundaries and how there are firm boundaries that need to be respected. And I think that I, I'm not going to fully repeat it because you know I certainly couldn't do it justice. But at the same time, you can be, you know, xenophobia is is oftentimes comes from the fear of the unknown. Who are these people? What are they? Why do they look different? Why do they act different? Why do they do different? Um, I think, and this was something that came to me, having done residency and fellowship at Boston University Medical Center, where there are countless numbers of cultures. I think the last count I had heard was something like 47 or 48 different cultures and communities and ethnicities that we had the opportunity to work with. And of course, we had mandatory cultural competency, which if you consider 48, 47 different, it's a joke. You can't learn about every single one of them to the point of knowing enough to feel like you know of the culture. And it would be really kind of terrible to think that you could. At the same time, I think what you could boil down the huge difference between xenophobia and assimilation, and what that huge marker is, is understanding the differences, respecting mutually, and having those reasonable boundaries. And I think this is something that in the, in the modern Orthodox community we do on a regular basis. We, we have secular jobs, some of us. Some of us not in this room. But we, we have secular interactions. And we are able to navigate those interactions in a positive and respectful way. And at the same time maintain those boundaries of I do this. I don't do this Right? you can have a networking event I'm not gonna eat food that isn't kosher
0: so I'll express it maybe in a little bit different way and you'll tell me if you're if I'm saying the same thing or not which is <laughs> to me the difference is from a a Jewish perspective we're not being xenophobic. We can respect other people's cultures and behaviors without feeling the need to take them on ourselves, and I call that Jewish pride. Right. One of the things I try to instill in my students and in my children is a pride of being Jewish, and a pride in saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm Jewish, we don't do that. So it isn't a question of, I'm scared of you and what you do or I don't want to be like you it is I'm very confident in who I am and what I do and what we do as a people and therefore I know my boundaries, I know my expectations and limits, I know what Jewish law says that I should or should not be doing and so that's something we grow into I think as adults and as a community it is something that I admire the Chabad community greatly. Um, They interact with people all the time, yet their knowledge of what their boundaries are, what they will do, what they won't do, is very clear to them. And they're not apologetic for it at all. It's a sense of Jewish pride. This is who I am, and these are the things I do, these are the things I don't do. I'm not apologetic that I don't do them because it's God who told me not to do them. It also strikes me looking back at this case of Kazbi and Zimri, right? The, the the Moabite woman and the Jewish man who end up having relations in front of the Aaron Kodesh or in front of the Ohel Moed, really, um, that the issue really becomes that sometimes we're our own worst enemies. When somebody is a threat from outside. And we see this, unfortunately, all the time. When there's a threat from outside, Jews gather together and support each other, and they donate, and they stand united. And yet, when we have internal problems and internal conflict and internal dialogue, we are much more likely to have infighting and to not have dialogue and to... Really tear each other apart, um, and and this to me is one of those lessons that comes from here. Is this idea of that when we're sometimes our own worst enemy. So, Akiva. At the very end of the parsha, we have this event with Cosby and Zimri fornicating in front of Ohel Moed, and Pinchas comes and skewers them uh, in, in reaction. Talk to us a little bit about why people might rightly or wrongly feel the need to demonstrate their in public their their desires their being upset right um, and are these effective or not I think it depends
1: I think that there's a variety of pieces to this and You know, obviously when we think of demonstrating, we think of demonstration, we think of protesting. And I think actually you have an example here of two kinds of protesting in this very piece. One of which is clearly more effective than the other. One protesting is everybody weeping. They're sad, they're upset, they're weeping, they're crying, they're making... They're, they're posting on social media about being really upset that something happened. And it does nothing. Because our legislators aren't reading our social media pages wondering what the masses are thinking. At least I don't think they are. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're probably not. Um, on the other hand, we have this very active, in this particular case, very violent... Demonstration of this isn't okay, I'm putting a stop to it. And I would preface very clearly that the big difference between this kind of demonstration and another kind of violent de- or, or um, riotous demonstration is in this particular case. Pinchas goes after the exact specific thing happening. He doesn't go and skewer random people. He doesn't say, I saw you doing something once, or you look like this one who did something, so I'm going to skewer you. He does specifically and directly the offending insiders, then and there. And I think that, again, in that particular situation, it's very different than, Will you remind me of, so I'm going to go after every... Clearly, also, not a good plan. We can look from a multitude of pogroms and all sorts of other terrible things where looting and rioting and pogroms and randomly, not a good plan. Uh, and similarly, I think weeping in in protest and not making anything happen and make anything change, also not a good plan. You know, a lot of times we have these things that go around that say, sign this for your senator to read, or send an email, call your your representative's office. I think that is really a wonderful opportunity to have your voice heard by the people who need to hear it. Similarly, I... Yeah, I didn't grow up in the times when people were chaining themselves to uh, schools or or bulldozers, at least not, not in my backyard. So certainly I didn't grow up seeing it, even if we learned about it, even if it's happened elsewhere that I just haven't experienced. I think in some of those settings, one could argue that, again, some of those were very useful and very acute and specific and meaningful demonstrations which may have done very positive things and again we can look for other times where either we never heard about it so clearly not very effective or it wasn't targeted in the direction that it needed to be targeted for it to be of use so I would say that I think getting your voice heard and making a message and sending a message is very important and the key is is who are you sending the message to? How are you sending the message? And is it being received in the way that it needs to be received? Hopefully that kind of clears up a little bit about what my hope is is that people can do to hear their, get their voices heard in a healthy and receptive and ideally non-violent way.
0: Thank Thank you you for for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding. So in this Parsha
1: of people doing things with mixed intentions, we can certainly agree on that one. Um fearing others, fearing things they don't understand, and protesting in all sorts of terrible, terrible ways, and possibly some effective ones. Here's a question for your Shabbos table. How do we resolve conflicts? What can we do to accept and be heard, sometimes agree to disagree, sometimes agree that the other side has a point and maybe it's worth considering? I think that at this point, we can very clearly say that we're not so good always about resolving our disputes in a healthy way, and maybe it'd be nice to talk at the Shabbos table about how we can do that a little more effectively, a little more usefully, and hopefully create a generation where people can start getting things done in a good way again.